Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm David Schultz, and I'm filling in for our normal host, Jordan and Kimberly. They'll be back later this week. So if you're listening to this podcast, you almost certainly already know that Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died on Friday night at the age of 87. She, of course, spent 40 years as a federal judge, with the last 27 of those serving on the highest court in America. Later this week, Jordan and Kimberly will be talking about how her absence will affect the court's upcoming term, but today we wanted to talk about Justice Ginsburg's legacy with someone who knows her well. Goodwin Liu was a law clerk for Ginsburg in the early 2000s, but he's a lot more than a former clerk. Liu also now holds the title of justice, serving on California's Supreme Court since 2011. We spoke with Liu on Monday about what Justice Ginsburg's legacy will be and about how he reacted when he learned of her passing. I was completely devastated Hmm. um, and heartbroken. I, um, of course, knew that she had had many health challenges over the last, um, well, really, um, for many years. But um, I had just seen her at a small dinner in February of this year. Seemed um, in good spirits. She seemed well. And um, the news came as um, as a big blow. Now you're a judge yourself. Um, I wonder if you ever uh, catch yourself doing things either subconsciously or consciously that you learned from her as you were clerking from her. You know, either on the bench or writing an opinion. Do you ever notice that? Oh sure. I mean, there's so many things that I learned from her. Um, she was an exquisite writer. Um, she paid very careful attention to every word, every detail. And those are obviously great habits for anybody uh, who's working in the law. She um, had this uh, habit, actually, of taking the um, internal documents that we gave her, just memoranda, legal memoranda, we call them bench memos, analyzing cases and um, these are not going anywhere. They're not, you know, public documents, and they're just meant to inform her about our thoughts on a particular case. And um, one day, I went into the justice's office to get something, and I noticed um, these bench memo bench memos in her um, various folders on cases, and um, I noticed that she had taken a faint pencil. Um, and marked up our bench memos, <laughs> meaning she, as she read, she was editing them. She caught typos, she caught little, you know, missing punctuation, whatever it was. And, uh, of course, we were mortified that we had <laughs> turned in anything to her that contained errors of this sort. Uh, but um, she, was, she never intended, nor did she ever uh, ha- actually hand these things back to us. She just, that was her way of reading things, is that she had this pencil and she made these faint marks because she just uh, cared about writing and on things that, you know, one might say, you know, don't really matter because they're not being published. Um, she uh, almost, you know, couldn't help herself in, in, in the extremely meticulous habits that she had um, as a judge. Can you pinpoint maybe uh, two or three opinions of hers or maybe even dissents that uh, you think will be the most influential among the things she wrote while she was serving on the Supreme Court? 
I think, you know, there are many. Um, so just to start with the most prominent, you know, her legal career um, is probably best known for her um, advocacy of women's rights and gender equality. Yeah. Uh, this began, of course, when she was a lawyer at the ACLU Women's Rights Project, where she successfully litigated several important cases that extended the constitutional protection of equality to women. Um, I think it's a remarkable thing, which perhaps many people don't realize, is that the application of the equal protection guarantee in our constitution to women uh, or to gender you know, uh, classifications is a fairly uh, modern phenomenon. It didn't begin until the 1970s. And Justice Ginsburg was instrumental in bringing that about. And so in 1996, when she was on the U.S. Supreme Court early in her tenure, she wrote the case about the Virginia Military Institute holding unconstitutional its policy of admitting only men. And that opinion drew significantly from the cases that she herself litigated uh, and also, by the way, an important case in 1982 that Justice O'Connor had written about nursing schools. Um, and so in many ways, that opinion is kind of like a monument to a legal monument to the um, arc of constitutional change with respect to the treatment of gender and women um, under our fundamental law. Yeah. So that's a big deal, really big deal. And... Um, I think in addition to that, um, you know, she has authored uh, a number of opinions that some people, you know, many people perhaps don't know. She wrote a 99 decision um, well known in the disability rights community called Olmstead versus LC, which um, applied the Americans with Disabilities Act uh, in a way that um, really got um, you know, cast a skeptical eye towards uh, institutionalization of people with mental disabilities. Hmm. Um, in other words, you know, sort of warehousing them in segregated settings instead of placing them in the community where they could be integrated. And, um, you know, some disability rights um, activists have called this the Brown versus Board of Education for disability rights wow. uh, because... It challenged, you know, um, it challenged a form of segregation uh, for that community. Um, that was an opinion of hers. I think it's also important to note that she, um, of course, wrote important things um, on racial justice. Well, is probably her dissent in the Shelby County versus Holder case, in which uh, the court five to four um, invalidated the core mechanism in the Voting Rights Act of 1964 to prevent um, some states and localities from adopting changes to voting procedures that would disadvantage minority voters. She dissented, and she reviewed, you know, the history of voting rights in America. She talked about Bloody Sunday. She talked about the march from Selma to Montgomery. She talked about Martin Luther King. Um, I mean, this was a person who understood um, you know, her own advocacy for women's rights within a broader context of adequacy 
of, of advocacy, you know, for uh, equality writ large. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, this this is um this this is an overall vision I think that she had about what she called, in her own words, uh, equal citizenship, you know, for all people. And I think that was kind of a lodestar for her throughout her judicial career. Finally, I also, um, you know, you mentioned that she will probably be remembered for her her uh, impact on civil rights and specifically on uh, women's rights. Um, but for people who are in the legal profession, I think uh, she made a pretty big uh, impact on civil procedure, which is is not as high profile uh, of an issue. But uh, I get the sense that was something she really cared about. Um, can you talk a little bit about her rulings on on this issue on civil procedure and about why she cared about this uh, the way that she did? Well, you know, that interest um, that she had in civil procedure goes all the way back to her um, years as a scholar. Um, long before she was a judge and long before she even um, undertook the Health the Women's Rights Project at the ACLU, she was a professor at um, Rutgers Law School first and then Columbia. And procedure was her specialty. Um, in fact, uh, unbeknownst to many, I think, she wrote sort of the definitive treatise, I believe, on um, civil procedure in Sweden, of all places. Uh, she went there for, I think, over a year, learned Swedish. She, she learned uh, Swedish? She learned Swedish, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. And so um, this is an abiding interest of hers over, over many, many decades on the court, you know, she was a um, consummate expert on things like class actions, on um, the nature of summary judgment, um, you know, um, the nature of evidence. I mean, she, of course, had been a lawyer herself uh, bringing cases, and she was extremely familiar with the practicalities of litigation. An area in which she wrote a lot about, actually, in her later years, was arbitration. She was very skeptical about the court. This was, you know, in a number of dissents, she was very skeptical of the court's extension of the Federal Arbitration Act to cover um, a variety of scenarios that she did not think it covered. Um, and uh, in many of her dissents, she explained, uh, in her view, why arbitration did not provide effective access to justice in the way that um, litigation in courts can. So this was a very um, abiding interest of hers that is intertwined uh, with her commitments to um, access to justice and um, the enforcement of anti-discrimination law, as well as you know um, consumer law, as well as um, other forms of labor and employment law, the whole panoply, actually, of uh, statutory and sometimes constitutional law, um, all of that, you know, as most people who are in the business will tell you, is only as good as the procedures, right, that are set forth that enable people to enforce their rights. And Justice Ginsburg understood that deeply. Yeah, and in fact, I actually saw that one on Twitter that uh, the last question that she asked during arguments uh, from the bench was about standing. Uh, as it so happens. That's... I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Justice Liu, thank you so much for, for talking with us today. Uh, we really appreciate it. And, um, you know, it's going to be 
fascinating to watch and, and see has, how her legacy uh, uh, evolves and, and uh, is defined as the years go on. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Goodwin Liu is a justice on the California Supreme Court and a former law clerk for the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Today's episode of Cases and Controversies was produced by myself, Josh Block, and Andrew Satter. Special assistance came today from Kimberly Robinson. Our editors were John Crowley and Tom Taylor. We'll be back later this week with a full preview of the Supreme Court's upcoming term. Until then, thanks for listening.